are lots of lousy businesses. And there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning, Toronto. And thank you to another edition of Hi-Fi Radio. Of course, my wingman decided to join us today, Jack Hartle. He'll be taking a week off next week. Who lets him do such a thing? I do. He's such a good man. Uh, so thanks for being here. Jack, uh, got a good lineup for you folks. Uh, we're going to talk retail, the death of retail, and the life in retail with Canaccord's analyst, Derek DeLay. Uh, this man knows what is and isn't on trend. It's going to be a good interview with him. Uh, we're then going to fly to London and speak with Michael Quake. Canaccord's senior research analyst. He's going to give us a global perspective on things. How are things in China, emerging markets, uh, lots to talk about there. And then we're going to take it right back home to mortgages. Mortgage rates are going up. Drew Donaldson from Seabridge Financial is going to share with us how much fear there should be in rate hikes for those mortgage holders out there. And finally, the high fidelity in the show, Melanie Decker, independent artist, singer, songwriter, CanCon to boot and show opener for Brian Adams in Ulm, Deutschland, uh, is going to share with us how she is successful as an independent artist, and that is one tough piece of retail. But let's take it right back to retail. Derek DeLay, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Derek, you're a very, very smart guy. You're a young guy, and you know what's on trend. Jack and I have interviewed you in office many times. Uh, here we're doing our homework and our research on air. That's what this show's all about, just to show the average person out there what the workings of a financial advisor are all about. And, of course, Jack, my wingman, has uh, got the tough questions for you today as well. But <laughs> so much talk about the death of retail, uh, everything getting. And here's Jack's line, Amazon these days. What, the, what Jack means by being Amazon. I can share with us, Jack. What do you mean by being Amazon? Well, just being disrupted by Amazon. And it's not small companies that are getting uh, disrupted. It's the large ones. You see what happened uh, when they acquired Whole Foods. Hasn't closed yet, but it's expected to. You see companies like Kroger and Costco. Just kidding. Amazon. <laughs> so, so is Amazon taking over the world? I know you don't cover the name, but uh, you cover retail. And your clients, uh, the, the companies that you cover, obviously talk to you about Amazon. Uh, so uh, is Amazon taking over retail, Derek? You know what? It's, it's an interesting question. And I think um, when I talk with, with investors on Canadian retail and, and, and North American retail in general, Amazon is the number one topic of discussion. It comes up in almost every single conversation we have. So is Amazon slowly taking over the world? Yeah, I think the answer is yes, they, they are. Um, you know, this is a force to be reckoned with. They have changed uh, a lot of the, uh, the ways, um, you know, some old industries operated. Obviously, bookstores was the first and foremost, and we've seen the independent bookstore kind of go uh, the way of the dodo bird here. But more importantly, as Jack said, uh, about a month ago, we saw the acquisition of Whole Foods. And to me, this this was more of a, of Amazon sending a message to retailers in general saying, hey, we're coming for you guys. Uh, look out, we can we can operate better, we can buy better, and we are, uh, to your point, Wolfgang, on trend. So what we saw when they purchased, or when as they're in, in the midst here of purchasing Whole Foods, is a change in the dynamic of grocery. I mean, are we going to see drones flying around delivering organic apples in the next couple of weeks? No, probably not. But we are going to see a change in the way consumers' uh, grocery habits and grocery shopping habits are uh, in, in the future. We're going to see, I think, a big step change in terms of whether it's delivery, whether it's online, whether it's paying through apps and on your phone and not having to go through a checkout. You know, Amazon really is going to change the way 
uh, grocery looks five to 10 years down the road. And we saw a response from all of the retailers here in Canada. Uh, you know, on the day of the announcement, they were all down sort of five to 10%. Uh, I think that was probably a bit of an overreaction initially, uh, but it does show the, the fear in the market of, of Amazon coming in and really changing the dynamics of what had been, a, you know, essentially an oligopolistic market in Canada with, uh, with a couple of key players that, you know, tended to do very, very well through both highs and lows. Now you've got a, a, a strong new competitor that's really changing the way um, you know, people are going to be purchasing. And, and I think that's put some fear into into the eyes of some of these uh, larger retailers. So to your point, it's not Amazon going after just the smaller independent uh, mom and pop bookstores anymore. They're going after some of the biggest companies in, in, in North America, Loblaws being one of them, Metro, uh, Empire, uh, and so on and so forth. So I think we have seen them really change the game here. Remarkable. Uh, so uh, Jack and I were talking uh, about O'Reilly Automotive. Uh, auto parts, correct, Jack? Yep, big yeah. fat margins in the auto part business. And uh, just this week, uh, they came out with guidance below expectation, and it was because of Amazon. Yeah. So, so guys, what ordering oil filters, cases of oil, yep, starters, all, alternators. Yeah, all the mechanics ordering all the the parts that they need, and like you said, uh, from oil filters to oil to whatever components you have, whether it's light bulbs, those types of things. No, I'll tell you something in terms, you know, they, 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 they have not perfected it yet. And, and Amazon's all about infrastructure, I believe. Uh, but Jack and I ordered a couple of the business books on Amazon. Uh, three, four weeks later, I would say. Yeah, at did, least. Did, didn't arrive. Uh, they, they did an inquiry into it, credit my credit card, and then the books arrived. A day well, later. But the books arrived. <laughs> a day later. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Should I call Amazon back and tell them to take my phone? Well, it's fun. Everyone, <laughs> everyone has a different experience with Amazon. I mean, I would tell you the last thing I purchased on Amazon, it was a bit of a random order. I ordered a dish rack and two pillows. You know, you just your classic Tuesday. Pillow. Your classic Tuesday afternoon order. And <laughs> it showed up the next day. Right, and that really? was that was no prime or nothing. It was just I did yeah. the basic free shipping. They're, they're getting and, into the wine business too, Wolf. Twenty to forty. Well, what, do, what are you saying? Twenty, 20 to forty dollars <laughs> for a bottle of wine, but you can't order it uh, through Prime. Can't get delivery through Prime. You cannot get delivery through Prime. Yeah, but they will deliver it to me. Bottle of wine. Uh, I'm not sure about that because you know I, what I'm talking yeah. about Jack and I just sent a client a bottle yeah, of wine FedEx. And, and FedEx wouldn't courier my bottle of wine is that right yep. was, it, was it over provincial borders that you know no. No, no I guess they want the liability of they that. said they'd take the wine and not give it back <laughs> yeah, that's what they said <laughs> so now I want Donald Trump to be paying attention to my stat here retail versus coal department stores have lost 18 times more workers than coal miners since 2001 Hey, Trump's all about coal. You're about retail, and Hudson's Bay is one of the uh, names that you cover. Mm-hmm. So, look, we got to pay some bills around here, Derek. This is retail as well. They got to run some commercials, which are good things. So, hang around with us for a bit. I want to I want to stay in this topic here about retail right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. And the boss don't mind sometimes if you're at the food, at the car wash. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Oh, little Rolls Royce, 1975, working at the car wash. Retail has changed. But you still have to go to the car wash every now and then. That's true. You do. Yeah. Do you use a car wash? I do use a car Drive wash. Drive through. Drive through. Yeah. You like the touchless. Big, touchless. <laughs> that is the way of the future. That's the that key. That is the way of the future, my good friend. Uh, so Derek Delay joining us, analyst, retail analyst with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, uh, pays a lot of attention to income statements and balance sheets and future projections of companies like Hudson's Bay. I don't know if they're on trend right now. We can talk about that. But you cover a really cool company. Uh, 
BRP, which is Bombardier, spinoff from the old Skidoo sleds. Uh, yes, indeed, I have a Bombardier. Uh, I got a VTEC engine, I think it is, a high-output engine, but it's about 10 years old, 400cc, and it runs great. It's a very, very solid machine. Uh, so that'd be a lot of fun to cover that company, Derek. Uh, so I think that company's on trend. Let's, let's start with Hudson's Bay. Uh, what are they doing right? What are they not doing so right? What are, they, what are they doing right? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think I have an answer for that. They're not doing, they're not <laughs> doing much right uh, at, at this point. And, and again, it comes to your point, it's not just Amazon, but online in general. Online retail has become a big threat. Uh, we've seen the department stores really, really struggle in North America over the better part of the last two years. Uh, it used to be department stores had access to exclusive brands. So if you wanted to buy, I don't know, let's use an example, Louis Vuitton, you had to go to a department store to get it. Today, that's no longer the, no longer the case. So the customer traffic within department stores in North America has really, really uh, seen, a, seen a major decline here. And unfortunately for Hudson's Bay, you know, they're caught right in the middle of this trap. Uh, we've seen very, very weak results out of Hudson's Bay for the better part of the last year, most notably Q1 uh, was, was a huge miss. I mean, we were projecting $67 million in earnings and they wound up losing $97 million-ish or something like that. So, you know, it was it was a really, really big miss from, from Hudson's Bay. And mm-hmm. this is a business to me that's going to just continue to be challenged as, as customers move online. It's not a business where there's a protective moat um, that Hudson's Bay has. It's, it's one that is going to be just extremely challenged by this online threat. Jack's all about the moats. It's a very, very powerful word, very meaningful word, Jack. Uh, of course, Derek just said it. Um, but luxury retail, there's expansion going on here, Derek. This is what... It, like when you think about department stores in Canada, there's no one left but Hudson's Bay. So you figure that they would have the market cornered. Uh, yet that is obviously is not the case. Uh, but luxury is expanding. Chanel. Uh, I hope my wife isn't paying attention to this one here. <laughs> I'm serious. Chanel, 8,700 square foot store, uh, flagship store opening up in New Yorkville. Tiffany uh, is going to unveil a substantially expanded store in downtown Vancouver. And I was looking at that Tiffany stock and said, stock's expensive. I don't get the blue box. Why would people pay so much more money for the blue box? I go to New York. The store is jam packed. And the smallest trinket inside that blue box, I don't know, 300 bucks. I don't think there is a, yeah. a hundredth of a gram of, 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 of metallurgical substance in that uh, little box. But regardless, it's successful and good God bless them. Prada expanding. Uh, Hermes uh, is about to commerce. Uh, I forget that one there. Uh, and Christian Dior opening up a 10,000 square foot store, Blur West this year. So retail isn't dead. Retail is changing. And the way I think uh, the, 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 the average... North American, shall I say, that, you know, the, the, the North American family that makes fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year, they have changed their habits. But what did you say? Like, your, your response to my question to you is, why are these companies continuing to expand? And your answer was the high-end companies. Rich people are still rich, so you know they're still willing to spend on luxury, and we've seen that in retail. It's I kind of take what what we call a barbell approach when I look at retail. It's that sort of the the mass market, the you know the average individual. Th- those types of uh, retail department stores are the ones that are really being squeezed. Things like Hudson's Bay, JCPenney, Macy's, uh, you know, even Canadian Tire to a certain extent. But the high end luxury brands, the na- the brands you just mentioned, and even the the value based companies, Dollarama being the best example in Canada, they continue to do very, very well in what is a relatively cautious consumer spending environment. I tell you, I was once taught a quote by an old advertising man and he said, if you market to the masses, you eat with the elite. Let's talk about Bombardier. Uh, Again, steeped in Canadian tradition, this company here. Uh, As a little boy, my friend had a Ski-Doo, yellow Ski-Doo with a caboose on the back of it, Jack. You'd like that up at the cottage. Um, Get the whole family going. Well, no, it's ironic because when, <laughs> when I drive my Bombardier around the property, uh, his property, he's got a couple hundred acres up there. 
off in the bush. I still see this yellow little reflection. He left half the machine in the middle of the bush. I guess it died. It's like enough is enough is 25 years of, of playtime. But uh, well, what a cool company to follow. So, so tell us a little bit about Bombardier, what the story is and what your experiences with the company and your travels to Austria where they make that, what is it, E-Tech, E-tech engine? E-Tech engines. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, Bombardier is a great company. This is one, it's one of our top picks. Um, you know, I think most most people would recognize Bombardier with Sea-Doo and Ski-Doo being their two big brands. They have over 50% market share in both of those markets. Um, and they've introduced some new products on the ATV and SSV, which is the side-by-side. It's kind of like a dune buggy. Uh, this is the fastest growing market that we've seen in power sports. And Bombardier is emerging as one of the leaders uh, in that brand. They use the Can-Am brand. So for those of you who look at you're not going to find a Bombardier ATV, but you will find a Can-Am ATV. Uh, in terms of the company, this this is the best company to cover. They do the best uh, investor days with us analysts. We uh, Two years ago, we went to Austria to visit one of their facilities where they make all of their engines. Uh, but alongside of that, we got to go on a, on a spider tour, which is that three-wheeled motorbike that you've, you've probably seen. Weirdest uh, looking thing on the Yeah, road. they're strange looking, but they're, you know, there's a market for it. And actually, they're a ton of fun. And we got to ride around on those spiders through the, uh, through the Alps in, in Austria for a day. Uh, more recently in September, we went down to El Paso and we uh, tried some of their new products, the new ATV and SSVs down in the sand dunes in El Paso. Uh, we actually did go to Juarez as well to tour a facility, which was an interesting experience on its own. Uh, but the, you know, these guys are a lot of fun and they do some really good events uh, with all of us. Now, now the stock is trending well. Uh, is there more upside left in the name? Yeah, we like it a lot here. I mean, uh, I was just, I spent a lot of time with this this company uh, overseas last week in London and everything we heard, uh, it, was, it was extremely positive. We're going to continue to see them gain market share at SSV and ATV. They have record high market share in the PWC and the ski markets. Uh, as well, they've recently instituted a dividend. So we're going to see uh, a bunch of new shareholders, in my view, come into the stock now that uh, we're looking for that yield. Uh, the company's got a healthy balance sheet and it, it trades at an inexpensive valuation. So we do like this one a lot. You do. I'm sorry, and pr- private equity, uh, Bain Capital? Yeah. Uh, they, they have a large stake still in the company? They do. They own about just over a billion dollars worth of the company Which still. represents how much of the shares? About 28, per, 28%. 20. So they're incented to dress this puppy up uh, get the margins thicker, uh, increase the top line to ultimately... Look to monetize a portion of that for sure. Yeah, and and Bain's been a very good partner for Bombardier. They've helped them a a lot along the way, and it's it's a very good relationship that Bombardier has with Bain. So, you know, this is a... It's been a very good partnership over the last decade. Yeah. Derek, you know, I got to bring you back on because retail is is something that we can all talk about. We all have an opinion about retail. We all spend, well, a a hell of a lot of money in retail. So we need to be aware of what is taking place. I really appreciate you joining us this morning here on Hi-Fi Radio. Well, coming up next, we are going to, I guess, fly to London, eh, Jack? Uh, Michael Kwok, our strategist, is going to give us a global perspective. Stay tuned, folks. More to come right after this. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Is this where I'm supposed to sing London Colin? Uh, no, Toronto Colin, London. That's what's going on here. Yes, indeed. Hi-Fi Radio. Michael Quatch is on the line with us, senior analyst with Canaccord, uh, really global strategist in my mind. Michael, real pleasure to join us this morning on Hi-Fi Radio. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So, so Michael, you, you really look at the globe and money flows and uh, GDP here and GDP there and currency this and currency that. Uh, so with that mouthful in mind, uh, what is going on around the world with money? 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the key concerns at the moment, there are two two key factors. Uh, one is on uh, the the hawkish tones from the monetary central banks. Essentially, they, they're becoming more aggressive on and uh, on wanting to raise interest rates. And then the other one is about China and the health of the Chinese economy. So there are lots of concerns and confusion around the Chinese economy, and that's quite an important economy globally, uh, given its size and growth. And so it's been a major significant factor over the last couple of years in terms of how it kind of uh, moves the market. No, no doubt. Look, it, it, uh, aluminum consumption out of China, 54% of the world's consumption goes to China. Nickel, half the world's nickel goes to China. Copper, 48%. The story goes on. The Chinese have been consuming for the last 10 years. So here's the uh, here's the big question to you. And, and, and Jack, of mm-hmm. course, being a bit of a skeptic that he is, and that's why I like Jack. Um, he says when the Chinese say GDP is going to come in at 7%, sure enough, the stats come in, and it is... Six point nine, maybe seven. Oh, like really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep them guessing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but it's such an orchestrated economy. And again, they got a big election coming up. What is it in the fall, Jack? Yeah, yeah, later this year. Yeah. Do we know what the outcome is going to be yet? You're going to essentially, in terms of the outcome, you're going to get very blue sky in Beijing. Essentially, it's, it's a very orchestrated event. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, and so is you know, and it is an important event for them in terms of showcasing it. But you're absolutely right. The the, the major GDP numbers, like macroeconomic data number that come out of China, uh, kind of has some level of skepticism in there. Well, the way I view them is that they are essentially very very smooth series. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump would call that uh, fake 6.5%. news. Five to seven percent. Hey, Michael. I say Donald Trump would call that fake news. <laughs> exactly. So, so uh, what what do you look at for the health of the uh, the Chinese economy? Look at the the real data coming out of China. What do you measure? Yeah. So you know the the um, the key measure in China, uh, the Chinese economy measuring the health is the monetary condition index. That's one of them, yeah. and that that measures the you know, how tight money is in, in China, and that at the moment is really quite accommodative and quite loose. The other measures that I look at in terms of the cyclical measures are in terms of railway cargo volumes, yeah. uh, and that collapsed in 2015, and it's rebounded nicely, and it's now at quite a robust level. Right. Uh, you also have electricity output, and that has a very strong correlation with industrial productions in China, uh, and that and that fell in 2015, and it's now comfortably above the, the you know the last five year average. And then you've got export import growth. Now import growth have actually grown, and it's now uh, you know bounced back quite strongly. And in in some ways, it can be counterfactually measured by the export from the rest of the world. So in some way, they can't uh, manipulate the import growth number too much. So on all three of these measures, alongside the monetary condition in index, which remains loose, suggests that the global, you know, the, the Chinese, the health of the Chinese economy is, is quite strong at the moment. Uh, and, and that should be very, very supportive for global economic momentum for the time being. And you talk about monetary conditions there. On your on your most recent report, you're talking, or I look at it here and I see that the uh, the yield curve, the, so the, the, the cost of interest mm-hmm. or the, the cost of money is um, inverted actually there at the moment. Uh, does yeah. that concern you at all? Not at all. Um, I think that's that's just uh, the bizarre nature of the Chinese bond market. Uh, essentially, you know, w- when you get an inverted yield curve, that's normally a signal that people, you know, it's, uh, have a flight to safety towards the short-term interest rate security, and then they they have doubts about the global growth and inflation prospects. So therefore, the long term comes down. Now, in, the, in in the case of the Chinese bond market, however, what you've seen is that both interest rate, both the short-term interest rate, has been going 
going up and the long-term interest rate has, gone, has been going up. And the reason the short-term rate interest rate has been going up is because it's a manipulated system where they've essentially been, the government has been pushing up the short-term rates as well, and so you get an inverted yield curve. Uh, so it, it's, it doesn't provide the kind of normal signal that you would normally get uh, in the Western economies uh, in terms of measuring the bond market. Fascinating, fascinating. You know, it's interesting because when, when we think of China here in North America, we think really still of a polluted country. Yet, in terms of green initiatives, China really is now on the forefront and producing more green power, from what I understand, than any other nation in the world, albeit it still consumes an awful lot of coal for the future. In fact, I, I think they, they mothballed 100 coal projects in, 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 in lieu of some new green initiatives. But the challenge, and again, I don't know if you spent time there, uh, Michael, but the challenge apparently in China is water. Uh, massive, massive, massive amount of toxic water. And so treatment facilities appears to be a big, big opportunity. So I'm going to stay with, I'm going to talk a little bit about infrastructure spend because we can sort of understand that here in North America. We just got to, as I always say, pay a few bills around here. So just hang out with us for a bit, Mike. We're going to be right back to you, okay? Yeah. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Yes, good morning to you, Wakey Wakey with the Sex Pistols. Reason being, Hi-Fi Radio speaking to London. Michael, thank you for staying with us this morning. Hi there. Again, Mike, Michael Quatch with us, uh, Senior Analyst, uh, Global Strategist with Canaccord Genuity. We're talking, of course, about China and its uh, thriving economy uh, without you know, GDP growth of 7%, nothing to sneeze at. In fact, China has consumed more concrete in the last three years, get this, than the United States did in all of the 20th century. That is a lot of cemento, as we like to say here in Toronto. So uh, infrastructure, uh, does it continue this big infrastructure bill? in China the way it did, say, 10 years ago, Michael, or have things calmed down a little bit? No, not at all. I mean, they, they're still very keen on the infrastructure build, and uh, you, know, you have the Silk Road, which essentially goes from China all the way to Europe uh, through Central Asia. Um, so infrastructure is still a major focus for, for, the, for the Chinese government. And, and look, you know, the, the, the Chinese uh, government essentially have a lots of longer-term problems at the moment um, in terms of pollution, inequality, and debt issue. Uh, and they've got 1.3 billion people to, to kind of keep satisfied. So they do have longer-term challenges which will present problems in the next five to ten years. Um, but probably not, um, you know, it's something that can be contained in the, in the near term. Mm-hmm. Sure. Michael, you talk about the Chinese debt. Um, are you looking at the shadow banking system at all there? Have you done any work in that uh, that area? Yeah, you you won't. Um, I, I have been looking at it. Uh, you, you won't get too many. Too, you won't be able to find too many data. There aren't just enough statistics uh, to be able to uh, pinpoint that. Uh, but you, you know, you you get you know certain Chinese broker reports which kind of suggest that they, it is a problem. And and just you know, just given two weeks ago, what the Chinese government was doing in terms of trying to uh, control for those kind of shadow banking and also control for companies financing that are purchasing. Um, uh, you know, resources elsewhere suggests that there is a problem there. Uh, but you just have to bear in mind that you know these top-level Chinese governments are you know they're surrounded by um, uh, 
experts who, who are essentially the foremost expert in the terms of the Chinese economy. Uh, and, and so they, they, do, they do know what they're doing and they probably do know what, they, um, what the problems and issues are and, and are able to kind of hopefully control for it. Uh, but, you know, they do have major challenges at the moment. I want to talk about, you know, the, the, the new China because China is not just a manufacturer of stuff anymore. China is on track uh, to become the world's biggest filer of patents within two years. China has over a thousand Tai Bai or Tai Bo, pardon me, villages. Mm -hmm. uh, again, uh, these, these villages sprung up through Alibaba, uh, defined as uh, one where over 10% of households run online stores in a special village. E-commerce revenues must exceed $10 million. So my question to you is overbuild. There is so much chat about overcapacity in China, uh, too much square footage in terms of retail, perhaps uh, the, these, these ghost town cities that were built, um, excess manufacturing. Uh, can you comment on that, please, Michael? Yeah, I mean, you absolutely, uh, Wolfgang. The overcapacity is, is, is immense. You, you not only get overcapacity in residential buildings and, and shopping malls, but you also get, got overcapacity in terms of uh, factories and manufacturing. Uh, so if you look at a kind of capacity utilization. Ten years ago, you know, China capacity utilization rate for kind of manufacturing factories were around 85, 90 percent. Mm -hmm. You know, four years ago, three years ago, it was around 65 percent. Wow. So these factories aren't aren't being used to full capacity because they've, they've obviously tried to slow down. They've, you know, they've gone from an economy that was growing at 10 percent or double digits. Uh, and it's no longer able what well, wants to be able to grow at that kind of pace anymore. And so they, they, they're trying to kind of, uh, um, you know, transition towards a, a service economy. And as a result, there, there is an element of overcapacity at the moment. Well, that, you know, that, uh, that is concerning to... Sorry, sorry. Uh, again, there was a bit of a mm -hmm. time delay as we're speaking to London. But uh, China is a very, very important partner, shall I say, to Canada because Canada produces stuff. And as I indicated, 46% of the tin and steel in the world consumed by China. Uh, gold, 23%. Even corn, 22% of the world's corn. Yet China, uh, I think, represents 14... What's the percentage of population? But uh, maybe that'd be you know, 8 billion, uh, billion, 3 and 8. Yeah, probably about 20% of the world's population. 14% yeah, eh? of the GDP. 14% of the world's GDP is now yeah. ch Chinese GDP. So it's a very, very important partner. We have to keep monitoring the situation across the pond there. So, look, Michael, I really appreciate you helping us with this. Please go back to bed now. Uh, for getting up so early, you've been a good, good... Fella, speak to you soon, Thanks my friend, all right? Much, Thanks all right. a lot, Mike. Thanks. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Yeah, the Wolfman. Is that me? I'm the Wolfman here with Jack, the Wolfman. Jack, sort of, not really. The Wolf on Bay Street, perhaps. But it is Hi-Fi Radio, my friends, and this is the fidelity part of Hi-Fi Radio. Melanie Decker, uh, in is it Kelowna you're in right now, Melanie? I'm in Kelowna right now, but I'm from Vancouver. Yes, from Vancouver. We love people from Vancouver here in Toronto, and she's in Kelowna with, uh, I guess, your, are you your boyfriend's place? I'm in his office, actually. He's not here. He's not. He, well, I like your boyfriend. <laughs> you and I are good friends, and that's how you and I met. In fact, 
Yes, you're from Vancouver, but like all Canadians, we tend to meet people elsewhere. And I met you in Greece, and you were just a wonderful, wonderful lady. And uh, you were a star unto yourself. Uh, and yeah, you made Mark look real good. <laughs> Anyways, so I want to talk to you because this is High Fire Radio. I want to speak to you, Melanie. What impressed me most about you is you are an independent singer, songwriter, but not just that. You are a producer, you're a marketer, you're a business lady, uh, and and you opened up for Brian Adams uh, in Ulm, Germany, uh, which is so cool. So let's talk about you and your life and how you put all that together, Melanie. Oh, where do I start? I know. Well, uh, let's just start with, for how long have you been at it as a singer-songwriter? Uh, I came out of high school and went to music school. I went to a... Uh, uh, through a jazz program in North Vancouver and uh, graduated. I didn't know uh, a thing about jazz, but I was drawn to that because I was drawn to pop music and classical music kind of, I had no influence there at all. So uh, right after that, I started gigging, as we say. I started playing where I could and trying to make money doing that. And I ended up touring six nights a week throughout BC and Alberta for five years. until Six I lost nights a week, five years. Yep, and then I lost my voice. And basically when you're touring as a cover band, you, you just got to play what the people want, which is a good feeling as well. Uh, the hours got longer, so we're trying to accommodate the line dancers, and you're trying to also uh, accommodate those that like to stay till 3 a.m., and the band continues on. And Sundays, just having Sundays off was not enough for uh, a marathon, <laughs> sure. as far as the vocal cords go. And I lost my voice, and I thought I would... I don't know, have to quit, and maybe it was time to quit. And my dad thought, ooh, good, she can go back to being a, a doctor or a mathematician. And I took time off, uh, so to speak, and I started writing music. And I started writing music without being able to sing it, because I was uh, definitely under doctor's instructions to not, not use mm-hmm. the vocal cords. And that's kind of when I fell in love with music again. And I started playing my own music, but guess what? You can't play in a top 40 country bar with uh, your own uh, no. singer-songwriter, uh, Bob Dylan influence mm-hmm. songs. No, I know so. the challenge. I, I, I totally did it. Everyone wants to hear familiar. It's all about familiarity. Uh, I used to work sure. in radio, and they took they took playlists down from 1,200 a week to 300 a week. Uh, you know, just keep repeating the hits, play the hits, and no album cuts anymore. But I, I spun two of the CDs you gave me, and I like your music, Melanie. Uh, look, I, I want to play a little bit. Uh, can we give a little sample, Rob, uh, to the audience of what Melanie sounds like? Yeah, little flower power. It's appropriate for a Vancouver, right? Hey, Melanie, I like that. You little hippie chick. It's good. Um, but you've released seven CDs. But again, Melanie, I, I worked in broadcast. I used to work with the record labels. Uh, I know how difficult it is. Uh, you know, an artist is an artist. You create stuff. You're a creator. But not you. You go far beyond that. You 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 finance your projects. You book studio time. You have no label manager. How do you do all this stuff? And please tell us what are the various tasks you have to do to make a living as an independent artist in this day and age? you got to get up in the morning and want it real bad. So start with that. Uh, I want to be able to write my songs and play them for people, and I would like those people to listen. So knowing, and I want to be happy doing that. So with knowing those basic ingredients, uh, the in-between, sure, it's tricky, but I always liked 
that I knew it wasn't for everyone, and I knew that I had uh, the passion, and I don't know, I just figured, anytime somebody told me, oh, you probably can't do it, or um, Mel, you know, only major label artists are going to get a chance to get that kind of stuff, I just thought, yeah, well, let me give it a shot. And honestly, almost everything I threw at the wall where people told me that there's no way you're going to be able to handle that or do that or manage that, it worked. I understand. So, Melanie, so, how did you – so I want to keep this conversation because we've got about three minutes left. There's a few, a few key yeah. points I want, I want to extract from you. And again, a bit of a time delay here with you being in Kelowna. Um, but um, uh, you produced seven CDs. Uh, yep. Again, what did it cost you, studio time, uh, engineer, uh, remixing, et cetera, et cetera, to produce a CD on your own? So some of the CDs uh, had financial help uh, from small record companies. It's way cheaper to make a CD today. Uh, sure. Also because I know what I'm doing, so tracks take, take less time. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, you're not doing 100 vocal takes. You're doing one or two, and you trust what you do is good. And I would say I have spent 3000 Canadian dollars on my last project. Uh-huh. And I spent 20000 on my Here and Now record. And I'm pretty sure they spent 45000 on my Revealed album. Does that mean so it's getting, you went from forty five down to three? That's term, correct. That, that's amazing. Oh. And, and uh, <laughs> may, may I ask how many CDs you've sold? Yeah, you know, my Distant Star CD sold the most, and it, and that was also a creative idea. I play a lot of charity concerts, and every time I play a charity concert, I offer every single guest a CD, and the organizer arranges that, and they buy them at cost. So that helped me sell a lot of CDs. Um, I sold 12,000 CDs at Distant Star. That doesn't earn you a gold plaque or anything in your room, but you definitely make a living doing that. Yeah, 50,000 in Canada, I think it is, to be gold. 100,000 for platinum, 10 times That's that right. amount in America. Um, and 50,000 of one CD. <laughs> and so collectively, I've sold 50,000 CDs between all my seven cuts. Th- th- that's incredible. And, and what do you sell a CD for? Uh Depends on what country I'm in and what they're going for. Uh, CDs. Uh, yeah. You discriminate by country, Norway, do you? Norway, by the way. Like <laughs> that's, not a, that's not the hippie thing to do. No, no. In Norway, <laughs> you will spend uh, at least thirty Canadian dollars on a new release for a full for a full album. Thirty bucks. Yep, and I sell them for ten in Canada if I don't have someone to run my merch table because I don't always have tunies in my pocket and change, and I sell them for twelve euro or ten euro, and uh, it, it's. I don't want it to vary, but it kind of does. Because it's so difficult. Now, are you selling uh, the, on iTunes digital downloads, 99 cents a pop? Are you selling that way as well? Absolutely. CD Baby runs all that, and they're an excellent company. They take uh, they take such a small percentage to do all the homework that uh, it's totally a great deal. From Spotify to iTunes, and and I don't diss any of the digital channels um, because no. it allows me to get my music out there. Um, and my last question to you, just in the interest of time, uh, Melanie. To, to open for Brian Adams, all right? I, I was a huge fan throughout the 80s, and uh, Brian Adams sold millions upon millions of records. Uh, and again, I was in Germany traveling on train, and I drove by a town called Ilm with the largest <laughs> steeple in the world, beautiful largest church in the world. And that's basically when you and I connected because I sent that over to your boyfriend. You don't mind me saying boyfriend, do you? I do, but that's all right. Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I sent it to Mark, and Mark says, as a matter of fact, Melanie's going to be opening up in that town. Um, I said, are you kidding me? She said, yeah, for Brian Adams. I said, oh, my goodness. How did you get that gig? 
Well, you know, radio, uh, radio station was put in charge of finding the opener uh, in their region. And they were fans of mine, and they went to a restaurant. They talked to a guy they know because he used to manage me, and he said, maybe I can put it together. And, yeah, he did. (laughs) Isn't that I would assume that's a good-paying gig. No, usually you pay to play those ones, my dear. You pay to play for Brian. Uh, I didn't in this case uh, because I had just the right people on the right end. Okay, everyone's sure. jaws just dropped in the studio here. <laughs> he what? He doesn't need he the doesn't money. He doesn't pay Mount. <laughs> Brian can't pay yeah. you? No, but I tell you, if you guys buy my T-shirts, I'm doing okay. What? Uh, uh, selling t-shirts your T-shirts is a high margin business there for you? Uh, <laughs> if you sell enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> It's not like a dollar store business, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's hard, Melanie. Uh, is, is your belly full? You got food in your belly? I've got food in my belly. Is, is the rent getting paid? And it is. And you know what? I barely, very, uh, very rarely do pay-to-play situations. Um, you don't need to do it as a young musician. You don't need to do it when you've been in the business for 20 years. Right. If you're going to open for someone like Brian Adams, can you get there? I've already I've got air miles and all that stuff's built up over the years, right? So it's not an expensive um, situation for me to do that and to make that happen and hire my musicians and so yeah if they give you a couple thousand which is sort of the scenario there uh, you're losing enough. money it's enough of course you're gonna do it yeah no but, but a couple thousand bucks doesn't pay all your bills and for your bringing your stage musicians and and the likes and did you get to meet Brian Adams I did, but only briefly, and I met him not this time opening for him, believe it or not. I met him in Kamloops uh, 15 years ago. Kamloops, nice. No, because I saw a photo of yours on, on Facebook, uh, just of his of his um, uh, roadie gear box, which said Brian Adams. I said, Gee, I wonder if that's as close as she got to uh, that fine Canadian. But you know, No, no, I got closer. Good. I, I ate from the same table that he did. Oh, my so goodness me. Did you keep you know, some scraps that could be worth money, my friend? I heard people who used to who used to trade cigarette butts for David Bowie when he used to come to Toronto. I swear oh, to God. God. Use cigarette <laughs> butts. Could you imagine? So I would think Brian Adams is probably a vegan or something. Eh? He probably is because he looks damn good. Yeah. Um, it's not... You don't do the concert to meet Brian Adams. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, Melanie. Yeah. But uh, I wish you a, 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 a successful future career. Uh, you're a dynamite lady, uh, a wonderful performer. I'm really enjoying your CDs, Kathleen. My wife, of course, has spun your discs. Uh, you know, we're old school. Like, uh, I love it when the girls like my music. Of course you do. I, I guess you haven't released any vinyl, eh? I'm looking into it. You do that. Jack and I are, Jack I and I are big on vinyl. I tell you how expensive that is. We, we actually had a guy on last week who used to have a pressing company, and he did all the artists just like you. It's called Music Manufacturing. It doesn't exist anymore. But uh, What do you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> eh? uh, Melanie, look, I, thank you very much for joining us this morning on Hi-Fi Radio AM640. Melanie Decker, Canadian independent singer-songwriter. Check her out online, of course. Melanie Decker with two, K, excuse me, with two Ks dot A real pleasure. Good weekend to you. Mortgage rates are going up, folks. Coming up next, we're going to see by how much with Drew Donaldson from SafeBridge Financial. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. Love of Money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640.
Well, folks, last hit coming at you right here. We're talking about the rise in mortgage rates with Drew Donaldson from SafeBridge Financial. Good morning, Drew, and thank you for joining Hi-Fi Radio on AM640. Yeah, fantastic. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, uh, Drew, you're a mortgage broker. Uh, Jack and I, of course, pay very, very close attention to interest rates because they affect all asset classes. And uh, the, the the market has voted with its feet. Uh, of course, Jack and I watched the yield curve. Uh, we saw yields back up a little bit on two, threes, and fives. And then... Uh, RBC came out a few days later saying they're going to raise fixed mortgage rates on the two, three, and five year. So uh, are they taking away the punch bowl for the housing market, do you believe, Drew? Uh, I mean, as you know, I mean, rates are still historically the lowest they've ever been. So, you know, 40, 50 basis point jump from the uh, the bond yields there aren't going to you know hurt the housing market too much. But it is something to keep an eye on, and especially for, you know, first-time home buyers or even seniors on a fixed income, I mean, it's going to raise their mortgage payments. Let's talk about that because Jack, Jack keeps raising that point there. Uh, it's just hard to believe a senior citizen entering retirement and having debt. Yeah, 10, uh, 10% of them, Wolfgang, have over $100,000 in debt. 10% of seniors are carrying mortgage debt. Mortgage debt of over $100,000. So, so, Drew, the, the question Jack and I have is if they are no longer employed, how can they qualify for a mortgage? And do you do yourself mortgages with senior citizens? Yeah, we do. I mean, it's not our, our core focus. I would say maybe 5% of our book are people over the age of 60. Um, but at the end of the day, they're still out there. And, and some of them, you know, I met with one this week where, you know, fixed income, pension, plenty of equity in the property. I mean, we're talking 20% loan to value of what it's actually worth. Right. They want to ride out the payments for five years and then either gift the property to their kids or, you know, sell it and take the equity and, and downsize. You don't do those reverse mortgages, do you, Drew? No, we don't get into that. You don't I mean, get we have that. access to them, but you know what? Taking a home equity line of credit is probably a better better solution. I think so too, especially if you have, like you said, the equity in your home, right? Exactly. I mean, you can make interest-only payments on a, on a home equity line of credit, and yeah. you know, it's not like a reverse RSP where it's working against you. It's actually you know, working for you. Mm-hmm. And th- those uh, those credit lines are demand loans, right? Uh, not that they would ever – they could potentially be called, but it's a highly unlikely, right? Exactly. I mean, there is a chance. There's always the risk that they could call it. But I think we lost Jack there, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but 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 the chances are are pretty low. And again, I mean, home equity lines of credit. There's a lot of regulation around them. Yeah. You have to have at least 35 percent equity in the in the property. So you know, even a 20 percent drop is not going to scare the bank away. So just getting back to uh, RBC raising rates. Have you seen it across the board, or is it? Uh, I guess RBC is the first, and the the rest to follow. Um, actually, everyone's been raising them. Have they? All okay. the big banks, you know, some of our other lenders that we work with that do billions of dollars worth of mortgages, you know, they're all they're all raising them based on those bond yields that you were talking about. Yeah, and again, the Bank of Canada does meet next week, and the likelihood is they are going to raise interest rates by a quarter point. So right. the mortgage rates have risen by twenty basis points, which is one fifth of one percent. Uh, Drew, again, in the interest of time, quick quote on mortgages. Uh, what's a variable rate mortgage right here, right now? What's a five year fixed available right here, right now? Yeah, I mean, the beauty about variable is, you know, if you're purchasing, we can still do under 2% on a variable rate, which wow. is unbelievable. Like yep. you said, I mean, a 0.25 increase isn't going no. to change much. Under 2 and is then, remarkable. Yeah. And yeah. then on the fixed rate, I mean, we were doing, you know, 239, 249 even a wow. week ago, but now they're up to about the 289 mark. Oh, my goodness me. My and first home, 1980. 
nine, 11 and three quarter percent. I had long ways my, before we go back there. I 11, think, well, three, yeah. But I remember friends of yeah. mine back in the early eighties and, and, yeah. and they were playing in the mid double digit, the right. 13, uh, 13, 14, 15%. I know fellas say you went to Alberta in the early eighties. Uh, you know, the guy I'm talking about, client confidential, I'm not going to mention the name, but 18% on his first mortgage. He said, how in the world can I pay this mortgage? Sure enough, he did. Wow. Uh, I was 18 points. Of G- You're talking about, you said on the five-year fix, two two thirty nine. Uh, last week, and then it's probably around the two eight nine mark. Two eight nine, yeah. To purchase or refinance. Yeah, no, it's forty. That, that's the thing, you know. Debt to debt to income in Canada is at historic highs. It's at one hundred sixty six percent. I repeat, debt to income at Canada is at one hundred sixty six percent. That's the same level it was in America before their market crashed. The only saving grace here in Canada is debt service, right, Drew? Debt service remains very, very affordable, and it's affordable. Why? Because interest rates are historically low. But I get Jack and I are in the camp that they're not going to run away in us. Perhaps you get two rate hikes this year, and then we'll see, of course, next year. So data dependent, I'm sure, by uh, the Polis and company. Folks, that's it for Hi-Fi Radio. Jack, I want to thank you again for joining us this morning. It is always a pleasure to speak with each and every one of you. Uh, I wish you a great weekend, and I look forward to being here, as does Jack. Well, Jack won't be here next week, but I certainly will. And, of course, he will be away, so Mike shall play in his place. Wish you a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email wolfandjack at wolfgangkline.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.